Dr. Alan Williams is a regenerative icon. He is uh, very well known in the space and he's actually the first one to give me a chance, uh, any credibility with the podcast by coming on. And uh, he definitely holds a special place in my heart and he is an absolute wealth of information. So uh, welcoming back Dr. Alan Williams. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host, Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a blue zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. All right, so uh, excited to have Dr. Alan Williams back with us. Uh, you are one of the very first that ever agreed to come on the podcast, and you opened the door to uh, allow me to, to interview a lot of other of your partners. And so I just want to thank you again uh, for you know having faith in me uh, years ago. So uh, what uh, has been going on with uh, understanding ag over these last couple years uh, and with the Soil Health Academy and then the new certification program is super interesting. Wow. You know, I, I have to be honest, Logan, the last few years have been a blur. Uh, there's been so much that has happened, uh, all positive. You know, I'm happy to report, but uh, so within Understanding Ag, we have, uh, we're, we're now working with farmers and ranchers and companies and other entities and uh, about 45 plus countries, uh, all 50 U.S. states. And in the U.S. alone, we're now over 34 million acres that are under regenerative transition. Uh, so phenomenal progress there, you know, just in terms of the impact that has occurred. Uh, we are now teaching academies in multiple countries, uh, you know, the U.S., Canada, Mexico, England, Ireland. Uh, we've done a lot of workshops over in Sweden. Uh, so, you know, th those types of things and the demand globally continues to grow. Uh, and then Regenified, uh, we have now certified, uh, gosh, I think it's more than 2 million acres. Uh, and, and, and Regenified is only two years old. Uh, so made phenomenal progress and in multiple countries and across a pretty broad spectrum of different types of uh, foods and agronomic crops. So that's been encouraging as well. So it, it's been readily adopted. You know, Whole Foods has approved it as a regenerative verification. Uh, the USDA, FSIS and AMS has approved it as a regenerative verification program. So we, we've been able to get a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of traction in a short period of time. We just launched it two years ago and Maker's Mark happens to be one of the companies that is now Regenified Verified. So they now have the world's first regenerative bourbon 
Okay. <laughs> and they put out a press release that has now been read by more than 220 million people worldwide. That is phenomenal. So uh, a whiskey, a bourbon is now regeneratively certified. Um, explain that a little bit. What, what does that mean? Because I think a lot of times when we have these conversations, it's about, you know, cattle and sheep and goats, whereas obviously there's more to it. Absolutely. So, you know, within Regenified, we're we're certifying all different types of livestock operations, but all different type of cropping operations as well from, you know, the typical row crops like corn, beans, wheat, cotton, that type of thing, to a lot of specialty crops like uh, guava and uh, palm oil and coffee and, you know, many, many other things. But within uh, Maker's Mark, since they are a bourbon maker, a whiskey maker, right, uh, that means certification of all the ingredients that are grown that go into their bourbon. So the corn and the grains and so forth. So the farmers that are producing those grains that go into the bourbon, they are being regeneratively verified. Now, is this solely with the practices at which like the corn is grown or does this mean non-GMO and are there other kind of uh, criteria for what's actually being grown? Yeah, so the beautiful thing about Regenified is that it is a tiered system. It, it is the first regenerative certification program designed specifically to reflect reality of what is happening out there. You know, the problem with many of the, the certifications that exist is that they are initially highly restrictive. And so that scares a lot of farmers off. You know, farmers, you either 100% are or you're not and there's no in between. Well, that that's not reality. You know, you've got to have a certification program that meets farmers where they're at and then allows them to make ongoing progress. And that's what regenerative is all about. Regenerative is a journey, not a destination. It's about ongoing, continuous improvement. So what we did was we specifically designed Regenified as a tiered system. Tier one, any farmer can begin the process of regenerative principle implementation on their farms, okay? And so that means they can easily enter in and start. Now, you can't use the seal, the regenerified seal at tier one, but it clearly shows that they have committed to this path, okay, and, and to doing this. And the other thing about most certifications is that, again, you either are or you're not. And let's say if you become organic certified, if you continue to improve your farm and get better and better at your organic production, there's zero recognition of that within organic certification. None. Yeah. Within Regenify, we have resolved that issue. So by the tiered system, and there's no such thing as stasis 
within nature and biology, you're either going forward or backwards. You're never, quote, maintaining or are sustainable. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll diverge here just very briefly and tell you that this whole idea about sustainability in farming is unachievable. You cannot sustain something in nature and biology. Again, you're either going forward or backwards. So the tiered system is designed so that once they reach tier one, they have a certain number of years to then achieve tier two. And then once they achieve tier two, they have another set of years to then achieve tier three. So they have to keep moving forward. They can't remain static in what they're doing. So that makes, it, it is, and that makes regenified the most practical and achievable and scalable regenerative verification out there. Uh, and, and it also allows food companies and fiber companies to scale, and it allows farmers and ranchers to enter in and scale and progressively improve. That's really what it's all about. I, I love the idea of just having that consistency and that that framework of where the the greenwashing is kind of mitigated. I know that there's there will inevitably be attempts to you know use it for you know whatever uh, that that's coming. But I know there's been a little bit of a you know a difference in well you know the the terminology just gets bastardized or it's just going to get abused. Or, no, this is great. This is what we have got to have. And so I know there's a little bit of a division even on the, that regenerative side with how to proceed. But what what your system seems to offer is almost like a, uh, you know, a coach going to the players to bring them along on the journey. It's, it's taking them uh, through the education of understanding ag and the soil academy and working towards something to where everybody can understand it. Yeah, they're not left alone to do this. You know, they, they very much have, we provide the tools, the know-how, the experience, everything that is needed for them to be able to continuously succeed as they move down this path. And, and that is so important because make no mistake about it, as a farmer, as a rancher, you're going to hit speed bumps along the way and you're going to need some help, you know. So we, we supply that. And, and we've had a lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers, as they're going through this, that have told us that has been the difference maker you know, in keeping them on this track, knowing that they have us to, to back them up and to rely on. Yeah, the, it's almost a, just a full service approach. And the big retailers buying in is massive because at the end of the day, none of this that we're talking about it matters if we're not profitable, whether it's the farmer, the uh, the markets or uh, the educators. It's like we've, we're all running businesses in order to do this, which just so happens to be something that's really beneficial for everything. Yeah. What, and you mentioned greenwashing earlier, and I, I'll just make a brief comment on that. Um, we specifically designed this, Logan, so that Regenified cannot be greenwashed. Yeah, again, there number one, we're measuring 65 different parameters. Okay. Uh, so it's incredibly vigorous in terms of the things that we're measuring. So it's everything from 
what's happening within the soil to what's happening above the soil. And it includes all different types of biodiversity parameters and those types of things. And, and the other thing is that because you have to continue making ongoing progress, it, it, it's just not possible to, to implement greenwashing within what we have designed here at Regenified. So we've, we've basically eliminated that possibility. That, that is absolutely wonderful. What, what brought me to the regenerative movement uh, was health, right? And so what, what disconnects kind of been popping up for me a little bit is that uh, on one hand, our farmers are our frontline healthcare workers. Like they are the, the soldiers that are providing what basic fundamental health needs are in food, right? And so what what I am having a hard time grasping is that a lot of our farmers aren't practicing like that is what they're doing, right? They're not living it. Uh, and so I, I say that to say this, there is a certain community that I have become very much more involved with as far as the carnivore or meat-based diet. And I believe the practitioners of that might be one of the biggest, you know, boosts for the regenerative movement because they're questioning the paradigm. They're questioning everything that we've been told something ain't right. And I think that it's a very big opportunity for us to educate that community on regenerative agriculture and have that crossover from the other way, the regenerative farmer to understand the carnivore, carnivore to understand the regenerative agriculture. Have you seen that becoming more popular or uh, participated in that in any way? Absolutely. Uh, it, it is becoming more popular. And, and the, the people that are looking at those types of diets are, are really gaining a heightened awareness of the nutrient and phytonutrient profile that, that's in those foods. Yeah. And, and that's becoming more and more important to them. And, but we're also seeing that, you know, across a broader, more general population as well. And we've been participating uh, in, in a lot of very high level research with a team of, of scientists led by Dr. Stefan Van Vliet uh, and Dr. Fred Provence is also integrally involved here. Uh, but what we've been doing is we've been doing the most in-depth nutritional research ever done. Uh, and, and I'll briefly explain. So we're starting with the soil that the plants are grown in. Okay, No other nutritional trials ever done that. It's never examined the soil that the foods were actually produced in. Almost all nutritional research just starts with the end product, the food itself, right. right? And then does an analysis on that. Well, we're examining the soil for physical, chemical, and biological characteristics and phytonutrient profile in the soil. Then we're collecting samples of the plants that are being grown and doing the same analysis on them. Then in the case of animal proteins, we're collecting routinely fresh fecal material and analyzing it. And then we're analyzing the actual end product, the beef, the pork, the eggs, the chicken, whatever the case may be. 
and doing very exhaustive metabolomic analysis on it to look at a broad spectrum of phytonutrients. And then finally, we're adding a fifth component of human clinical trials. So this has five core components, soil, plants, fecal matter, end product, human clinical trials. Never been done before. And the results, Logan, are mind-blowing, okay? Even for somebody like me that knew we were going to get good results, it has far exceeded my expectations. So what Dr. Van Vliet and his team have conclusively proven is that it absolutely starts with the soil. The healthier and more biologically active the soil is, the healthier that food is going to be for us. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm excited to get my hands on some of that uh, research when, when it's available because that is uh, right up our alley. Uh, Alan, another aspect of all this, uh, the podcast and, and what I work on is human health. And so when we look at uh, the chronic diseases, it's, it's metabolic uh, deficiency or dysfunction. And that's going to be from the toxins and the deficiencies. And so recently we've talked to uh, Dr. Jack Cruz uh, and Morley Robbins, and they have just kind of a different uh, view on a lot of these topics. But uh, sunlight being a, a massive contributor to ov overall health, right? Like we've got to have it. Um, when you, you look at, you know, uh, chlorophyll with the plants, melanin with people or animals, the, they function like the same way. And so like the melanin research is something that is unbelievably important, but Morley pointed out that copper is one of the most important things with the, production of everything. So like the pan enzymes, tyranase, and then the melanin uh, melogenesis. So I, I threw that in there to say there's a mineral component to the farming that I think is what may have the biggest impact out of everything that you just named. Because when we're looking at even a lot of the regenerative farms, there's no copper in the liver. So as they're doing these nutrition analysis, they're, it's not there simply because it's not in the soil. So is there anything that you're seeing that's positively impacting this mineral availability within the soil? Absolutely. So as you were saying that, see that this isn't separated. It's all highly interconnected, right? And so what we are clearly finding is that it's the microbes in the soil, particularly mycorrhizal fungi they are absolutely core so and 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 we've done hundreds of thousands of soil tests all over north america and we have found that the vast majority of our agronomic soils and and soils in our pastures and so forth are highly deficient in fungi and particularly mycorrhizal fungi and mycorrhizal fungi are key here in what you're talking about in the mineral element, whether it's copper, whatever it may be. So those minerals are in the soil. The problem is making them available for plant uptake. So now they're in the plants that we eat or the plants that the animals eat, and then we eat the proteins from those animals. Uh, 
So what we are absolutely finding is that as we improve this biological profile of the soil, especially that mycorrhizal fungi component of the soil, then we are unlocking these bound minerals in the soil and making them available, readily available for plant uptake. So now those deficiencies are no longer there. And that is what is making the phytonutrient profile so profoundly different and better is the unlocking of these bound minerals. Our, our current and prior agronomic practices have created the situation where we have the binding of many of these minerals. And by reversing that through regenerative farming, regenerative ranching, we are making them available again. So, you know, for example, glyphosate being a, a, a chelator of minerals. Yes. So by the not using of glyphosate, it's helping to not have it bound up. And so I think that the the fungal element is really, really interesting. Can you kind of go into why we don't have the fungal component mm -hmm. in most operations, especially uh, monoculture crops? Absolutely. Uh, it, it's really pretty simple. Number one, tillage. Okay. Uh, think, think of mycorrhizal fungi like a giant roll of galls. Okay. And, and that if I rolled out, you know, on the soil surface, this giant roll of galls, and I took any type of tillage equipment, pick it, doesn't matter what it is, and I ran that across that galls, what's it going to do to the galls? Break it up. It's going to cut it all up, rip it all up, right? So that's exactly what tillage is doing. That mycorrhizal network that exists beneath the soil surface is like that giant roll of galls continuously interconnected beneath the soil surface. So any type of tillage breaks it all up, rips it all up, okay, and, and greatly damages it. So that's enemy number one of mycorrhizal fungi. That's one of the core reasons we have such a depleted mycorrhizal population now. Second is all the use of fungicides, okay? You know, we're, we're using more fungicides than ever before on many of our agronomic crops, not just row crops like corn, cotton, beans, and wheat, but also on our vegetable crops, on our fruit and nut crops, you name it. Far more fungicide use than ever before. Well, these fungicides are not target organism specific. So even though they're, you know, greatly diminishing the pathogens, the fungal pathogens that are causing the disease at that point in time, now they always come back, right? That's why we have to keep using fungicides but they also kill the mycorrhizal fungi because it's not target organism specific. They just kill all the fungi, okay? So we're damaging our mycorrhizal populations through the use of fungicides. Herbicides, particularly glyphosates, also significantly damage mycorrhizal populations when used over and over again. So, and then overgrazing, improper grazing, things like that, 
also damage mycorrhizal fungi populations. So we have seen a combination of all of these factors come together over decades and decades to greatly diminish this mycorrhizal population. So that's why we have to reverse this. But what we are seeing, so the good news is this, when we implement regenerative principles and practices, we do see an explosion in the mycorrhizal population, and this can happen far faster than we imagined prior. So, so we can bring it back to populations that are highly functional. We've just got to alter those practices. Alan, um, two things. One is, I, I don't remember if it was Paul Stamets or, or who it was on the fungal aspect, but it was, uh, I've seen where the the fungal network can move nutrients like like extremely far distances uh, if it's intact and so i think that that's super interesting but i've also seen where it is more on a like a woodland area it's more fungal dominated whereas more of a grassland it's more uh, bacterially dominated so are you if that is correct it are you seeing uh, silvopasture type setups having more biodiversity, uh, the savanna styles? Yeah, so certainly silvopasture helps a lot in that regard. Uh, you know, and having woody and brushy species present, because woody and brushy species are highly mycorrhizal. They're, they're great mycorrhizal fungi associators. So we like to add that component in whenever possible. Now, that being said, if you look at our historical grasslands and prairies, okay, the world over, they were much more fungal than they are today. And that, for a number of reasons, one is, you know, the way that the livestock moved across it helped maintain a much higher fungal population. But the other thing that we note is that there were 250, 300 plus different plant species always growing in these prairies and grasslands, you know, from a historical ecological perspective. And many, many of those species were mycorrhizal in nature. They were good mycorrhizal colonizers, uh, like big blue stem, little blue stem, Indian grass, eastern gamma grass, you know, switchgrass, and we can go on and on. They're all excellent mycorrhizal associators. Uh, and what we see is that in a thriving grassland, that we can restore that fungal component to about 30%, so 70% bacterial, 30% fungal, and it's thriving there. Uh, but absolutely, we love, back to your earlier deal about silvopasture, we love to incorporate trees, brushy species, that type of thing into the mix to help speed up this progress of mycorrhizal association. It's just all so important, and uh, I, it seems like the more we try to control nature, the worse uh, effect we end up getting. You, as a uh, as a farmer yourself, an educator, and you know a pioneer in this movement, what is 
What is the number one thing that we can tell the the consumer, especially those carnivore meat based practitioners, as far as the sourcing of of the products that that they're they're after? Yeah. So number one, you're you're going to have to do a little bit of your own research. You know, actually look for farmers and ranchers that are regeneratively producing those products. And, and of course, now that we have Regenified, that's a great place to start, right? Uh, to be able to determine who's out there that is regenerative verified, uh, that you can have a high level of confidence in. Uh, the second thing that they can do, and, and this is equally important, is when they go to their grocery stores to buy their food, Go to the management and ask the management, are you intentionally sourcing regeneratively produced foodstuffs? That matters. That matters a lot. Research within the retail grocery sector shows that in a single grocery store, if you have 10 to 20 people ask for something, management is going to then look at providing that because their research shows that if 10 to 20 people actually take the time to ask you, there's a lot more that want it, but that aren't speaking up. Okay. So, so use your voice, open up, go to management at your grocery stores that you shop at and ask them for regeneratively sourced foods. Secondly, in the restaurants that you dine in, do the same thing. Ask them, you know, ask the management to come out and, and, and say, are you sourcing regeneratively produced foods to serve me in your restaurant? That's what I'm interested in. That matters. That's a game changer. Once you do that, then they will pay attention. Let me give you a perfect example. A few months ago, I was asked to speak at the National Restaurant Association National Convention. It was held this year in New Orleans, and uh, they wanted me to speak specifically on regenerative agriculture and regeneratively produced foods. Okay. And I really, honestly, I didn't know exactly how that went or not when I was there. I was sort of wondering. But we were recently contacted by one of the executives of the NRA, the National Restaurant Association, the other NRA, the National Restaurant yeah, Association, right? And uh, and they said, we have had a lot of restaurants that heard that and are keenly interested in actually going through a Soil Health Academy to learn more about regeneratively produced foods. And I'm like, Wow, really? Restaurants wanting to go through a soil health academy. This is beautiful. That is, you just never know how how that impact is going to be. And I think the food service getting behind it is another just huge, huge thing. Yeah. So I am super excited to hear that that you've had that response. What uh, what what's next? What's next for y'all? How how is this next year or so play out? And uh, what what can we do to help support it? So. We're, we're at the point now that it, it's it's managing that explosive growth, 
we we need more qualified people within understanding ag, yeah, and within Regenified, uh, because this is very much an education game, right? A farmer and a rancher can't implement what they do not know. So they have to be educated in the regenerative principles and practices. So we've got to be able to teach this growing number of people effectively and efficiently. So, so we got to have more qualified people ourselves to do that. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, we need more scholarship dollars for farmers and ranchers and young people that are learning about this and wanting to think about this for a career to be able to afford to come to the academies. Yeah, because these academies are, you know, they, they basically take up an entire week of somebody's time. And so they, we need more scholarship dollars to help defray those costs so they can afford to come. So that, that's another thing that people can help with, you know, it's just providing scholarship dollars. Um, and then the third thing is continuing to create greater awareness uh, not just thinking that this is some pie in the sky thing that'll never happen because it is happening. And so realizing that we need the general population to continue to use their voice to say, we want regeneratively produced foods, not just for us to consume for our own health. Now that's important, but because we also recognize that not only does this improve our health, but it improves our climate, our environments, our ecosystems. So this is a win, win, win. Nobody loses here. Nobody loses. Well, thank you for all of your work. Uh, again, I can't thank you enough for being one of the first to jump on the podcast that uh, you know gave us some credibility. So uh, you know, thank thank you again for that. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what y'all continue to do. We're going to keep working and seeing uh, if we can't get that message out there more. But uh, again, my friend, thank you. And thank you for taking the time again to uh, to visit and, and share that wisdom that you've gained. I deeply appreciate the opportunity. It's always a, a pleasure and a privilege to be on with you and anytime, anytime. Thank you for joining us on Sowing Prosperity. Be sure to follow along across the social media platforms, including YouTube, and be sure to go to sowingprosperity.com.